you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from December 12, 2021. The sermon text was Ephesians 3, 1-13. Uh, yes, we are a little bit out of sequence uh, with uh, last week. As you know, Jeremy finished the uh, chapter 3. I'm going back to the beginning of chapter 3 today as we uh, work through this. It was... It worked out just fine. Um, but today's passage that Lowell has read for us uh, is referred to, to by many scholars as a parenthesis. Um, Jeremy pointed this out last week. Paul starts off in chapter 3, verse 1, with, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. But then he promptly changes uh, his thought mid-sentence. It seems as though he's beginning his prayer here that he picks up in verse 14 that Jeremy uh, spoke to us about last week. But before he does that, he stops and adds some more thoughts and um, before concluding this section and, and then beginning his prayer for the church. So it isn't really a rabbit trail that he goes off on, but I believe through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that he, um, he wants to make sure that the Ephesian church and us today really understand what it is that he is telling us. So if you remember what it is that we've covered this far in Ephesians, that will help you better understand today's passage. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this letter to the Ephesian church uh, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think I said then that I was kind of uh, a little sad that I might not be able to get to preach from Ephesians, and here we are. Uh, I'm getting a couple extras in there, so I guess I ought to be careful what I wish for, but uh, it's all good. Um, but in it, and what it makes it so special to me, is in it God reveals what it is that he has done for us. Uh, he has brought us salvation. I know we throw words around like that almost too flippantly, and we usually don't stop and think what it is that it really means. In the first chapter and a half, Paul tells us that the all-powerful, all-perfect, all-just creator and sustainer of the universe paid the penalty for our sin so that our relationship with this perfect God could be restored. The filthy were made clean, the dead were brought to life. Those that believe that this is true are now part of God's family. And this was all possible of God's, because of God's love and his grace and his mercy, not because we earned it uh, or even could earn it. The dead cannot raise themselves. It was God's gift to us. In the second half of chapter 2, Paul reminded them that not only was their relationship with God restored when they received salvation, but their relationship with others was as well. The gap that had divided Jew and Gentile was also bridged. Not just that Gentiles could receive salvation, but, they were, that, but that now they were on the same plane, the same level as their Jewish brothers and sisters. They were equally part of God's family. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I can't quite comprehend what it must have been like to be a Jew or a Gentile during this time of change. 
Yes, we ourselves know ethnic divides and cultural and social and political and economical divisions. We, we know that. But we don't know what it's like to not have full access to God. We don't understand what it... We've always been able to pray. We've always been able to read our Bibles. We've always been able to, to have that access. But this is a new time. Even the Jews... We're in a new place when it came to access to the Father. And it's extremely important that the Ephesian church, and us today as well, it's extremely important for us to know who we are in Christ and who others are as well. If you remember, the rest of Paul's letter deals with how our relationships with others are to be lived out. And what we know and understand and believe about our relationship with God exponentially affects how we deal with others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how what we know and understand about our salvation deeply affects how we deal with other people. I think that's one of the things that I am learning. I've mentioned that a couple times over the last several weeks. So two weeks ago, we looked at the end of chapter 2 where Paul talks about this new revelation of two groups of people now becoming one group, one family. And he did that by reminding them where they were at one point. They were dead, separate from God and from each other. He he reminded them where God had now brought them, which is alive in Christ and alive to each other. And he reminded them why God had brought them to this place, so that they could build up together as a temple, so they could be they could be built up together as a temple. This one group that was two, that's now one, is to bring glory and worship to God. So with an eye on where we've already been, the things that we've already discussed, and keeping in mind, too, what is coming up uh, in the rest of Ephesians and what it looks like, which is how we as a family are supposed to live out our relationships with God and with each other, Let's take a look at today's passage that Lowell has read for us. So verse 1, as we've already read, says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. So as Jeremy pointed out last week, Paul starts out what was a prayer, uh, what was his prayer, that actually comes at the end of chapter 3 by reminding them of his imprisonment, that he was a prisoner of Christ for their benefit, or for their sake. And remember, Paul literally is a prisoner at Rome as he writes this letter to them. If you remember back to our study of Acts, Paul is in prison because he was accused by the Jews of taking a Gentile into the temple. And interestingly enough, Luke says in Acts chapter 21, verse 29, he says, For earlier that day they had seen him in the city, uh, speaking of Paul, with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. So Paul is in prison because he was accused of taking a Gentile, and a Gentile from Ephesus, no less, uh, into the temple. And long story short, he ends up in Rome awaiting trial, and he writes this letter. Uh, he writes the letters that we're looking at over the uh, past month or two and, and several months coming. Um, And he, that, this is what's going on as he writes these letters, what, uh, as he has written um, Ephesians. So Paul's not moaning the blues about his 
being in prison, uh, as we'll see at the end of this section uh, today. He's simply reminding them that what he is telling them is more important than even his freedom. It's very important that they understand that, even more so that, that he's willing to, uh, to go to prison for sharing the awesome truth that we are now one with God and one with each other. So he's about to launch into this beautiful prayer for them as a church, but then stops mid-sentence and adds some more teaching before he moves on. <clears throat> and we see this in uh, verses 1 through 5. He says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, and he says, assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me this special responsibility of extending grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So before he concludes with this prayer for them, he again wants them to know that this new way is not something that he has just dreamed up. It was, it was revealed by God himself to him, and not just to him, but the other apostles and the prophets as well. Again, if you remember back to our study of Acts, you'll recall the, the momentous occasion of Peter's vision uh, of the sheet full of unclean animals being lowered from heaven and Jesus commanding Peter to rise and eat. And then Peter refuses uh, because in the Old Testament, this would have been forbidden. It would have been sin for him to have done these things. Uh, but then finally, the Lord reveals to Peter that what he has declared clean was <clears throat> no longer unclean. Uh, and when Peter wakes up from this vision, there were men waiting on him to take him to Cornelius' house as God commanded him that they would be there. So Peter obeyed, and long story short, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit at that point. So Peter, because of that, because they received the Holy Spirit, because all of these things that took place, Peter knew that this was from God. So he went back to Jerusalem, and the believers there questioned him, Hey, what, what's going on? You, the, the Gentiles, have received the Holy Spirit? And, and Peter says, Yes. He said, This has to be a God thing. And he gave them all the details of the story of the, the, the vision that he had of how Cornelius and messenger had come to Cornelius and had uh, commanded him to send uh, for Peter, and all those things you can read about it in Acts chapter 10 and, uh, chapter 10 and 11. Uh, you can fact check me there and, and learn a little bit more about this. But an amazing story. So it was revealed to Peter. It was revealed to the church leaders, and it was revealed to Paul that this was of God. It was something special that God was doing, and these people, the Ephesian church had an opportunity to be a part of this. And in verse 6, Paul again tells them what, new way, what this new way was. He says, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. He gives a qualifier, which is that both Jews and Gentiles 
It's, this is for those that believe the good news. Those that believe that Jesus is the payment for their sins and have had their sins forgiven. Then he states three things that take place between these two groups because of their salvation, because of their forgiveness. First, they share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. What was promised to the Jews spiritually was now promised to the Gentiles as well. Second, both are part of the same body. There's no distinction, no segregation, no favoritism. And third, they both enjoy the promise of blessing. All of this because they belong to Christ. As we looked at in chapter 2, all were equally dead and all were made alive because of Christ. Not because they earned it, not because they deserved it, not because of the family that they were born into. It was all God's grace and mercy equally poured out upon both groups. In verses 7 to 9, Paul shares that God has now given him the responsibility of sharing this good news, this new plan, to everyone. He says, verse 7, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though I am least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan of God, that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. <clears throat> he tells the church that it was by God's divine plan and call that he was chosen for this task, even though he was the least deserving. If you remember back to Paul before his conversion, he was a Jew's Jew. Before Christ met him on the road to Damascus, he persecuted other Jews for following Christ. He would have never even dreamed about associating with Gentiles. Yet here he was because of what Christ had done in him, proclaiming the wonderful news to both groups of people. In verses 10 and 11, Paul states then God's reason for implementing this plan of bringing these two groups into one. Again, he says in verse 10 and 11, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. God has joined these two groups together into one body so that he can point to us and say to the spirit world, look what I have done. The God that spoke this magnificent universe into existence could have put that up on display. I mean, it's amazing to stop and, and think about just how vast and this universe is that he's created. He could have put it up on display. He could have put our human bodies uh, and how we function and have life and can see and smell and feel and have emotion and all that amazing stuff about who it is that he's created us to be. He could have put that on a pedestal and say, look what I did. He could have reminded these rulers and authorities of his miraculous power throughout the ages. But instead, he chose to put us on display. The beauty of two groups becoming one. So I have to ask myself, how well am I reflecting his glory? 
In verses 12 to 13, Paul concludes by encouraging them by saying, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. We were once separated because of our sin, but now we can come boldly into God's presence. We were dead, but now we are more than alive. We are privileged with a capital P. And this wonderful responsibility that God had given Paul in sharing the gospel to the Gentiles was so magnificent, so wonderful, that Paul was willing to be held in prison for it. He did not want them to worry about him or feel sorry for him. What a wonderful example of being part of the body, of being the part of the body that Christ had called him to be. Even though it meant prison, he was willing to do that. So a wonderful example for us. So what can we take from all this today, this, this parenthesis that, of Paul again going over, sharing how thankful he was that he had this responsibility to share God's wonderful plan. What can we take from it uh, now? One of the things that stuck out to me was, first of all, allow Christ to give me, to give you, a better understanding of where it is that he has brought us from. Where it is that he has brought us to, and for what purpose he has brought us there. Gain a better understanding of what salvation is. What God's grace, his mercy, his justice, and righteousness are. Study these letters to the churches where Paul and the other authors give us God's word about who he is and who we were and who we now are and what he calls us to be as a result. Pray and live the prayer that we looked at last week at the end of this chapter where Paul prays that we will experience and fully know the love of Christ and allow it to take deep root inside of us. So study and learn, experience what it is that God has done for us. Second of all, as we've looked at uh, in these three sermons now, uh, and being unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's obviously that it's extremely important to Paul, it's extremely important to God. Um, so as, over the last few weeks, as we, as we have looked at that, uh, kind of this main theme and we'll continue to be looking at it as we finish out Ephesians. I think it's only right that we each have a little bit of self-examination. If we were brought together to, um, so that God could show us off, so to speak, am I, are we worth putting on display? If not, then why not? Are we too selfish to be unified? Do we not think that God offers the same grace and mercy to others that he continually offers to us? Do we think we somehow deserved this mercy and grace, but others do not? When I was in Bible college, uh, our academic dean uh, was caught in an affair with one of the college staff. <clears throat> and, and the entire situation was very, very sad. And he basically walked away from the faith 
Um, he was a brilliant man, a gifted speaker. I really enjoyed hearing him in, uh, in uh, chapel. And uh, I think I was in the middle of one class when all this took place, and then the president had to, to take over for that class. Um, but anyway, just I really enjoyed listening to him. But um, basically, he walked away from the faith. Uh, one of his daughters was in my class, and, and a, few, a few years ago when I ran into a, a different, another one of my professors, I asked him whatever happened uh, of the entire situation, and he said it was still a mess. Uh, the daughters had, had all made bad life decisions. I think the thing that saddened me most was that Dr. Willie had, had either told this professor or told someone else that uh, he wasn't interested in repenting or, or asking forgiveness because he didn't want to become one of Christ's trophies where people could look at this entire situation and say, you know what, look what Christ did in this situation and how he redeemed it. He didn't want to be that trophy. He didn't want to be that example, that trophy that Christ could put on display, so to speak, for us to see what he had done. To me, that was sad, to not want to allow Christ to do that work in his heart and in his life um, and give praise to God. So what kind of trophy is your life? Do you want to even be a trophy for God? Do you know and understand your sinfulness and God's goodness? And as a result, when God calls us to give of ourselves for the good of others, um, will we willingly say yes because of what he has already done? So that he receives the glory and honor and worship that he deserves. Are we willing to do that? I know for myself I have a lot of learning and growing to do in this area. I allow my actions to tarnish my shine, and I need the Holy Spirit to work in my heart, in my life, as we continue to walk through these passages. So how well are we, what kind of display are we? Are we willing to give God the glory and be the men and women that he calls us to be? And third, how well are we being how well are we at being the part of the body that Christ has called us to be? As I said earlier, Paul was willing to be the messenger to the Gentiles, and that resulted in him being hated by his former associates, the Jewish leaders. He was imprisoned multiple times when he was falsely accused for causing riots and causing trouble. Yet, he knew that God was worth serving. He knew the message was worth telling. He knew God's plan was perfect and worth being put on display, so he was faithful and he was committed. So again, I ask myself, how committed am I? Only until I get made fun of? Only until I'm no longer appreciated? Only until I'm no longer safe? Only as long as it's financially comfortable? These are all questions <clears throat> that I have to ask myself and and hopefully we can all ask ourselves as well. So as we move into chapter 4 after the first of the year, and begin looking at the ways that Paul lays out on how God calls us to live as a unified body, let's keep in mind the truths that we've looked at and learned thus far in our study of Ephesians, and ask ourselves, in what ways can we improve for the glory of God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this, your word uh, that you have given to us through your servant Paul. We thank you for the example that he was. 
Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation. Uh, and again, we can't even fathom just what it is, uh, just how wonderful and glorious it is, but yet it's simple enough that a child can understand. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for where you have brought us from, where you have brought us to. And we thank you for that you will receive glory in that. And Lord, as we uh, think about how you have also unified us with other believers, uh, whether that's here amongst our brothers and sisters in this church, uh, the churches from in our area, the, and as we go out and out and out, that all believers all over the entire world are one. We might look different, we might sound different, we might act a little different, even believe a little different sometimes, but but those that have accepted you and believe you to be the payment for sin are brothers and sisters. And Lord, I just pray that we will be willing to be put on display, that we will live out the lives that you called us to, that as we work through the rest of this letter to the Ephesian church, that your spirit will be at work in our hearts and in our lives and help us to question and to make the changes in our lives that need to be made so that you can be honored and glorified. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from December 12, 2021. The passage was Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Take care.